This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. for Meraki Minds, stories from inspiring women, with your host, Ami Pagdal. Hello, Kiara, and welcome to the Meraki Minds. I'm Ami Pagdal, an integration technology specialist who is very excited to share the journey of opportunity, challenges, solutions, and guidance from the wonderful people around the New Zealand. So today, let me invite Jess Stuart, an author, coach, and international speaker who empowers women to be their best through writing, coaching, online courses, and workshops. Jess is an imposter syndrome expert who specializes in women in leadership, has a background in senior HR roles, and a decade in the corporate world. Highly acclaimed event speaker featured on the TV3, BBC, RNZ, Stuff, NZ Business Magazine, Dominion Post, etc. Jess is an author of three personal development books, the latest of which is The Superwoman Survival Guide, a designer to help women unlock their potential and thrive at life, giving practical advice and tips for building resilience, leveraging strength while navigating the fear, getting our self-doubt and mastering the art of balance. She believes that tapping into your potential doesn't mean doing more or having to be different. It's just uncovering what's already there and being enough as you are. Organizer of annual nonprofit events across NZ to inspire, empower, and motivate women and sponsor the places at her workshop, Jess aims to have her event easily accessible to diverse group of women's social impact at the heart of her work. Described as inspiring, articulate, and relatable by audience, Jess has a passion for sharing her knowledge and motivating others with her words. Welcome to the Meraki Mind, Jess. How are you today? Yeah, pretty good. Thank you. When you was in a uni or in a school, like what you wanted to be when you grow up in terms of your career, what you wanted to achieve? Mm. Um, I never really knew, actually. So I kind of drifted through school. I got good grades and I was a good student, but I never really had any plans or ambitions. And then when I got to about the age of 16, I was desperate to just be independent and travel and see the world and do things that were more interesting than being at school. So initially, I kind of did more of the life stuff than I did the career stuff. And I accidentally found myself in HR um, during that time. So I kind of started off as an admin assistant in a training company. And therefore, I learned a lot about training and got a lot of the training for free as well, and then moved into an HR department. And by virtue of being in that HR department, even though I started out being an admin person, I started to get experience and skills and then I did my um, certificates back in the UK at the time and so it was almost an accidental evolution but I did have my sights by that time set on career success, the corner office, the company car, more is better so I found myself in this accidental career but I was busy climbing the ladder trying to make the best of it and for me that meant financial success and then I got to that pinnacle of that career 
and realized that actually that wasn't what I wanted. <laughs> that wasn't success. It didn't fulfill me. It didn't make me happy. So it was all a kind of accidental evolution. But looking back, there was a huge amount that I learned and that I enjoyed about working with people. And so that gave me a basis, I guess, to then figure out, well, if you were going to do that differently and do it in a way that did work for you success-wise, you know, regardless of the money and the company car and all of the bells and whistles, what does that look like? And that kind of put me on the path to where I am now. So as you kind of like, you have a drastic change in terms of your career, like you was doing having a really successful corporate life and now you have changed to become like an author and speaker and coach. Like when was that moment that you really felt that, you know, this is not what I want. I want to be something different, something to bring change. And where was that um, like lightning moment that made you change your life drastically? Mm. There was a few, I guess. There was a few subtle ones that just bubbled under the surface. And that would be things like, oh, you know, I'm bored of this job. So you'd go and move companies. You'd see a job on seek, you'd apply for it. You'd think, oh, this will solve the problem. And then you'd experience the same thing. So it was bubbling under the surface for a while as I changed jobs, got promotions. And I kind of thought that that would um, solve the problem. And then the thing that really caused the change was probably something that was quite involuntary for me. And it was almost like I was forced into it uh, in a good way, it turns out. But I um, I burned out. So I had uh, physical and mental um, re- responses to that, reactions to that, that meant I had to leave where I was. I kind of got myself into a place where um, it was no longer sustainable for me from a health perspective. So what that did is it enabled me to take some time out, forced time out because I was sick, um, but it enabled me to take some time out and reflect on, okay, this has to change. And it was a combination of doing stuff that was out of alignment with my values, um, being stuck, not just in a career perspective, but life-wise as well. There was stuff going on in my life, in my relationship. Um, And also from this perspective of um, what a quantity, I guess, just doing too much because I was trying to get away from the uncomfortable feelings and trying to bury myself in my work to just hope that it made it better. And so when I hit burnout, that was the catalyst for real change because that forced me into this has to be different, not just what I do in terms of a career that gives me a sense of meaning and purpose and satisfies um, my skill set, my gifts, my uh, sense of what I enjoy doing but also get, makes an impact on the world. And then the how I do that. So being able to work in a way that was healthy for me and be kind of my own boss in a way that I could maintain that, that balance. Not having those evaluation or change in your life, you are looking for kind of like having some mentor or some guidance that helps you through. Was there anything in your life, like any books or any person that really help you through that change and it make you uh, like a really better and positive outlook in your life? Yeah, there was a fair few actually. Um, and it's interesting because I've now gone on to write a book that, you know, I guess charts the journey I went on in, uh, called I Love Mondays in terms of being able to figure this stuff out. So a lot of it was about me getting time and perspective so that I could figure out what are my strengths? What are my skills? What are my values? What do I want to do with my time? Where are the opportunities in the world for me to do this in a way that realistically will earn me a living? Um, and then I was lucky enough as well to take some time out. So I did about a year um, of travel. So I learned a lot from other people, a lot of other cultures. I went to the kingdom of Bhutan 
who operate gross national happiness in place of GDP as a measure of progress for their country and went and taught English to Buddhist monks in northern Thailand. And I was seeing all these different cultures. I spent a lot of time living in ashrams and retreat centers across um, Europe and Australasia. And all of these experiences were helping me figure out my own path. And there were a lot of books I read along the way as well, I guess. I think I remember when I first started to get these underlying bubble under the surface, unsatisfied in my job feelings, I read probably about 100 self-help books and nothing actually changed in my life because I didn't do anything beyond read them. And it was when I started to bring this stuff to life. So the likes of Brene Brown. I remember reading Dr. Libby Weaver's Rushing Woman Syndrome um, and Elizabeth Gilbert, her Big Magic book. There were certain books where I started to put these things into practice. And that was when the major shifts and the changes started to happen. Books always helps us to grow. However, like when was it an event or something which helped you to realize that you want to be imposter syndrome expert where you can help the people. Yeah, again, again, quite accidental, quite evolutionary. So I didn't have this epiphany where I was like, right, I'm going to write books. And I'm going to be this imposter syndrome expert. That kind of came. So I was, as I had my year out and I was traveling to all these amazing places, meeting all these amazing people, learning all this amazing stuff. I wanted a way of sharing that. And I love to write. So I started off just blogging. And people would often say to me, oh, you should write a book. And by the time you've done a year of travel and blogging, you pretty much have written a book. So it was just a case of pulling all that together. And then when I'd done that process once, I thought, ah, actually, now I can write a book. And there's so many other things I'd like to write on. So then it was about me looking at my HR career and particularly some of the things that I'd noticed around um, my passion is really helping women be their best because I've seen it on my own journey and the impact it has on our life and the potential we have within us. But I've also seen so many high performing women that underestimate their abilities. And I would being in HR, you know, you get to, you're on the recruitment panels to select people for jobs. You're, you see what everybody gets paid because of the payroll. You often sit around leadership tables, having conversations about people's performance in different teams. So I would always be on this um, then this privileged position of seeing how amazing these women were, but they couldn't see that themselves. And they'd be the last to apply for promotion. They'd generally be the lowest paid and they'd never ask for a pay rise. And so that really piqued my interest in writing two books for, for women, like a girl in the superwoman survival guide that did mention imposter syndrome as a result of, of my studies. But interestingly enough, it was the media and the, how it resonated with the audience that really made me the expert in that space. So I started to get asked to write magazine articles and go on TV and do interviews about the topic. And it's funny because when you start being called an expert in something, that's generally when your imposter syndrome is at its worst because you then have this expectation and weight and pressure of like knowing all the answers. So that was a really good lesson for me in my own journey that then made me want to research this more and find some strategies and tools to not just go out there and talk about, hey, this is a thing, but actually go out there and say, here's what we do about it, particularly for women in the workplace, so that we don't have such a massive gender pay gap, so that we have more women around the leadership table because they've applied for promotions and that they feel comfortable around that table because they can own their space and they know what they bring. As we talk about this imposter syndrome, how would you define it in a simple words, like its symptoms, the causes, or how would you handle it if you are having one or how can you ask for the help? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, in a nutshell, if you were to define it, it really has two parts. And imposter syndrome is the common name, but I like to call it imposter experience because I feel like syndrome carries a bit of a stigma. It sounds like a medical condition. And what this is, is a state of mind. It's our self-doubt getting the better of us and it comes and goes. So in a nutshell, our imposter experience is this fear of being found out, of being exposed as a fraud. And that's where the imposter terminology comes from. So it sounds like one of these days they're going to find out that actually you, you're not as good as they think or you don't you don't deserve to be in this job and they're going to find out soon enough. But the other side to it is that we struggle to internalize praise and recognition. So any success we get, we tend to downplay, wave away. We explain it to something outside of our own capabilities. And so obviously that leaves us in a place where we feel like we haven't earned any of these accolades and that it's all just been luck or a mistake or people being nice or right place, right time. So one of the things that I often teach in my workshops and coaching programs is to know our strengths, because once we know our strengths, we can leverage them. And it takes the focus off us always trying to fix our weaknesses, which I think we're very good at doing. It's often how we're taught. And the other thing is to know our to celebrate our successes and to acknowledge that. Because we have a massive um, gap in terms of how our minds work and negativity bias will always point us towards the things that we haven't done yet or haven't achieved or didn't go as well as we wanted to. And yet we have all these positives that we could celebrate and the wins and the things that have gone well that we tend to ignore and dismiss. So it leaves us with an uneven, I guess, portfolio of evidence in our brain as to our capabilities. So trying to even that out by encouraging our brains to notice more of our wins and to acknowledge and celebrate more of our successes. I would totally agree on some of the points here because I have personally been at this stage where I would be like, even if I would have put all the efforts or I know that this is something I did, which was a great thing. It used to be a time where I'd be like, you know, I'm like, that's okay. That's okay. I would <laughs> never take the, I was never the person who was able to take those compliments or the praise that what I had done. But yeah, it took me a little bit time to build this confidence and just take the ownership of what I have done. So as we talk about the confidence right now, like I have seen people around where they struggle with the self-beliefs and leaderships and confidence and things. And they always been told like, oh, you just need to have the confidence. You just have to have these things. But there is never a way that where do you get these things from, you know? Like, what are the steps to achieve those? So as a person who have really coached so many people, how would you like to improve those qualities? Yeah, and I think it's an interesting one. I mean, it's it's so wide-reaching, um, that topic. I mean, there is obviously when we have a tendency to focus on other people and compare ourselves, which erodes our own confidence because we're always looking at others who have either done more or seen better at something than ourselves. Um, so there's an element of, you know, focusing on ourselves. I always say the grass is greener where you water it. And so focusing on your own development and yourself helps in that confidence space, as does getting support and help, which I think can seem counterintuitive sometimes where confidence is concerned, because we've been conditioned to believe that asking for help and support is a sign of weakness. So again, further erodes our confidence. But in fact, having a mentor or a support person or delegating, setting boundaries, getting help actually helps us be more resilient and feel more confident confident as does that the, the stuff I talked about around our strengths and our successes because we're then showing the brain the things that we are good at and that's building our confidence but I think one of the biggest things and it's also one of the hardest is the way we relate to failure 
and how we give ourselves permission to fail. And this is something I talk about in, our, in, in the workshops that I run. Um, we've got this confidence competence loop that we go on. So whenever, and, and you know, you've described it beautifully with your own journey, whenever you do something, once you've done it often enough that you've proved you can do it, you've proved yourself competent and that increases your confidence in whatever that thing is. But the interesting thing is on that journey, it's never a quick case of I try it, it works, it's a success, I'm confident. Normally it's I have to ask for help, I have to learn some things, I make some mistakes along the way, then I prove myself competent and I get the confidence. But we've been taught that failure is a negative. We should avoid it at all costs. And if we fail, it's proof we're not good enough and we should just stop. Whereas as a human, we will make mistakes. And a part of that journey to success and proving our competence is learning, is making mistakes. And so being able to embrace that and see it as an inevitable part of that journey really helps us get to that point. Because when we look at that loop, the destination is the same. We get to competence, whether we get it right the first time or whether we get it wrong and learn something and then try again and get it right. It's the same destination. One is just a longer, longer way around. And it's the more common one, too. Yet I think so often we see failure as a thing that's negative, proof we're not good enough and that we should stop rather than embracing it as a stepping stone towards building that competence that then gives us the confidence. I agree totally with that point because I remember when I was growing up, my parents always used to say, it's not like you failed something. It's just you found the solution which didn't work, which might work with something else in a future or might not, but it's just a different solution. It's not working for your current problem. So you have to find other. It is not a failure. It's just an option that didn't work out. It does really help you to change the way you look things and start taking, like feeling different. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, like you have wrote a couple of books on this could you tell us a little bit more about of your each book and what it is about so this can have a chance to have a look and have a read yeah sure so I Love Mondays is the latest one that came out um, earlier this year and that's really a career guide that's broken down into three parts so much about my own journey as um, finding work I love but incorporating all that HR knowledge that you have from the other side of the table around recruitment and CVs and interviews and things like that so really how to align with your skills your values and what brings you joy um, your passions and then how to find that job and then the third part is sustaining that. So high performance, that's a passion of mine, the whole mindset piece and resilience and keeping ourselves balanced, particularly after experiencing burnout. And then the two in the middle, Like a Girl and the Superwoman Survival Guide are quite similar. And they look at, um, from a particularly for, for women, how we be our best, but without burning out in the process. So I believe that for us to achieve our potential, we've got two, two main areas, and that's knowing our skills and strengths and having the belief in that and then the energy to deliver on that so the resilience to um to sustain that potential that we're capable of as you help other women to achieve their career goals and get the, their desired success in their life at a personal level what do you want to do next yeah i think um it's interesting because this journey now has been what five or six years for me and i kind of feel like i'm getting to that point that in the initial early days when i set out I was like, yeah, this is what I want to be doing. And now I'm doing it. So I guess it's probably an ideal time for me to, to reflect and be like, well, what's next? But also I'm conscious that I should just enjoy, you know, I've worked five years to get to this point. Maybe there's not a next. Maybe it's just more of the same because this is where I want to be and enjoying that as well. So for me, it's about making an impact and the more ways that I can do that, 
the better. So initially it was writing books and now I do a lot of public speaking, um, workshops, trainings, events. So for me, it's just keeping it varied enough that I reach more people and it keeps me interested and it makes an impact. It does some good in the world and, and hopefully helps other women in the process. I would like to know, like, what would be the best piece of advice that you would have received or you would like to tell to our listeners today? Um, I think the best piece of advice, there's, there's two parts, really, and both come from my study with, with Buddhists. Um, and one of them is one that I teach, and that's this concept of slowing down to speed up. And that is if we rest and take time for ourselves and do one thing at a time, one moment at a time, despite the fact that we're taught to multitask and do more things in less time, what we find is we actually become more effective. And this has been true for me. So I sometimes I only work six hour days rather than eight hour days, but I get more done than the former me used to get in 12 hour days because I'm rested, I'm refreshed, I'm sharp in the mind. So I think slowing down to speed up has been a great one. And the other one is, um, is a Buddhist proverb. And I often finish my workshops with this. And it's that knowing and not doing is the same as not knowing. And I think when we go to workshops or read books um, or listen to interviews like this, we intellectually understand what's discussed and that's great. And we're very good at accumulating knowledge in our Western world. But it's what we do with that knowledge that makes the difference. Because if we're not going to do anything with it, other than store it away in our brain and go, okay, I know that now, then nothing will change. So it's what we choose to do. And I think that's my encouragement from anything you listen to, that you pick up, that you read or workshops you go on. What's one thing you're going to do when you leave the room that makes the difference? Because that's what really helps bring this stuff alive. Thank you for joining us today, Jess, and sharing your journey with us. It's a pleasure. To our listeners, hope you enjoyed listening to this inspiring story and to continue listening to such wonderful stories, stay tuned in and subscribe us. Please do share with your family and friends. Thank you. 